Be good. <laughs> Well, hello there. Thanks for tuning in. This is Andrew. I'm sitting here with my wife Tiffany and our little dog Pele in an apartment in Larkspur, California. We are going to be working for the next three months in uh, anticipation of getting back on the road on our way down to Argentina. In the meantime, we've still got episodes that we want to share with you. We've met lots of fun and interesting people. We're going to meet some more. And uh, yeah, there's lots of good stuff coming up, much like our guest today, a guy named Nick Perez. We met Nick in Yucca Valley, another one of Tao Ruspoli's um, Airbnb guests. Tao has an incredible little Airbnb enterprise going on down there. If you're ever heading anywhere near Joshua Tree, that's the place to stay. It's beautiful. It's not terribly inex- expensive, and it's uh, it's just fun and a great atmosphere. And people from all over the world show up and uh, are ready and willing to tell you their tale, much like Nick. Nick actually. Uh, Boy, how do I start? We we just got into a conversation. Within five minutes, I was begging him to let him, let me put microphones up, and um, and yeah, I'm glad I did because he is a director, uh, he's an instructor, a professor of uh, cinematography at what he describes as a small university. Um, he's making a film called The Art of Grieving, which I found to be fascinating, uh, and he's going to tell you all about it in a much more articulate way than I can, but he's, uh, he's a lot of things. He's a pilgrim. Uh, he's an immigrant story. He is uh, just a charming, fascinating dude that I think you'll enjoy hearing from. I certainly did. Uh, Tiffany liked him. Even Pele, who can be kind of grumpy sometimes, liked old Nick. So how's that for an endorsement? Uh, I just want to say thank you very quickly to all of you who have supported us over the past year of us making podcasts. It's been great, and there's a lot more to come. So thanks. Thanks. Thanks for supporting us on Patreon. Thanks for giving us reviews on iTunes and on various podcast apps. And thanks for, uh, yeah, just listening and telling your friends. That makes us feel pretty damn good. All right, enough of me. I want you to enjoy this episode with Nick Perez. Oh, and there's we mentioned a bunch of things in this podcast, various links are going to be up on our website. When you listen to this episode, you can just go to mtp.dog, listen to the podcast, and you'll see links for just about everything we talked about, Uh, particularly the artists involved in his film project, which are uh, some very incredible um, individuals who had a lot to say with their art. And uh, yeah, I think you'll get a lot out of that. Okay, for real this time, I'm signing off. Until next time, I hope you are out there doing fun and interesting things. Ta-ta for now. Nick Perez. Perez? Yeah. Where, um, where is Perez? Where, where is that from? It's a last name from Salamanca in Spain. But my great-great-grandfather was... No, no, great-great-great-great-great-grandfather was a Spanish friar. Really? Augustinian friar who went to the Philippines, broke his vows... Married a Filipina, and basically uh, 
Yeah, I'm my and from the Catholic or Christian context, my um, my bloodline is made out of sin. That's made like. from sin, all right. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. But it's a uh, it's after that um, my parents. Uh, basically moved to the United States and that's just, that's how I found myself here. Yeah. In you're, the States. you're originally from the Philippines or yes. yeah. yeah, my family is. Your yeah. family is. Yeah. You grew up here. Austin, Texas. Austin, Texas. That's where Tiffany's from. She said, yeah. Yeah. Well, all good things come from Texas. I think Texas, uh, well, Austin is the salvation of Texas. Let's put it from that perspective. <laughs> it's a pretty incredible place, man. Do you go back to Texas or? I still have family there. So yeah. 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 I love it there. Do you ever get to the Philippines? Yeah, once a year I go back. Um, like grandparents uh, or something? Or? No, it's it's more of trying to go back to my roots and mm. kind of unfolding specifically why I look this way and why I love fish <laughs> and soy sauce. Soy sauce, yeah, spicy. Pretty much, and uh, you know, there's a there's this binge that is somewhat very innate that I can never take out of my system. Did your parents, did you grow up eating that food? I did. Um, I grew up going back in the Philippines and, mm-hmm. and speaking the language and speaking different languages. How many languages do you speak? Uh, currently, fluently, seven. Seven? <laughs> wow. But it, I, I can't write the rest of them, but, you know, it's a, it's a hit or miss. Yeah. And it's, it's part of the process where you have to learn a language in order for you to survive. Sure. Was that part of your family's ethic? Like, hey, look, we need to, we want you to be as equipped as we were coming out of the Philippines to. Yeah, to my have. my my mother was a, uh, a college professor, college professor. She she uh, spoke some languages before she passed on, and so that's one of the gifts that she had, um, specifically for me, who became an educator as well. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, in, in traveling through these years. Learning from the process, um, learning how to cook with them and eat yeah. with them. That's, that's one of those, I mean, it's that, that can never be taken away from me. Yeah. It's a huge gift Indeed. to learn how to cook, particularly fish with <laughs> soy sauce and spicy. <laughs> no <laughs> doubt. Uh, I could use that. Absolutely. Um, that, we're going to go to the grocery store <laughs> right now. Uh, so, okay, your, your mother was an educator. What did your father do? Uh, he was a mining engineer. Well, he is. He he yeah. He he retired. Mm-hmm. So he traveled quite a lot, and that's the reason why we got to travel as well. And he's he's what seventy seven now. Yeah. So it's been. I'm the youngest of four. So it's an interesting kind of a. If you think about it, it's it's. You have a very methodical father who thought of things scientifically and you have a very nurturing loving mother who uh, was a teacher what did she teach she taught education oh wow yeah. she educated educators that's no pretty joke. much yeah yeah that is very two very different people an engineer and a teacher mm-hmm. my stepfather's an engineer and my mother's a nurse which are very very different different yeah. things but, but you know, what's interesting as, I mean, you know, you see people change. And my father, when, when she passed away, he just transformed into a different kind of a person. In what way? He stopped being methodical, maybe because he retired. And he stopped treating people as if he was, they were his employee. Mm-hmm. 
So at some point, there's the level of, oh, yeah, let's open a bottle of Merlot. Yeah, <laughs> we can relax. Exactly. Now, how much of that do you, do you attribute to, to your mother being no longer in his life or him just not working? Or mm, A lot. I would, would say probably 50%. Yeah. Because, I mean, I think, well, and half of it is, is, is for him finding himself in the process and dealing with grief and dealing with who he is as a person, um, the identity that he has achieved without my mother. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a, that's one of those processes that a human being has to undergo. Yeah. But I cannot even imagine. I mean, the identity that I personally have is so entwined with being her spouse. And for that to go away, I, I would be a mess. I understand, yeah. Did your father go through any of that? Or? Yeah, he did. He did. Quite. And um, in order for him to to somewhat verbalize what he is feeling, he had to... I asked him to write it down. Yeah. And in, in the process, I mean, it, it took him a few years. And for me, as an educator who who has been, you know in this path for quite some time, who has written quite a few things, and it's like, hey, talk to me. And at one point, yeah, we were in Lake Michigan, and I, I said, it's like, hey, um, we were in my, our second bottle of wine, and <laughs> he was saying, sometimes I feel like this is the third year when my mom passed away, and she said, he said, sometimes I feel like I haven't loved you the way your mother loved you. And such a powerful line. Wow. And it's, you know, listening to something like that, a very methodical man would say, the man that you've not seen for quite some time in your life experience what father it is, because he's been always out and around. You know, he's somewhere in Africa, somewhere in the Middle East. And to the point that, you know, trying to understand that and him feeling this way, it's such a process to, to somewhat, I'd say it's an achievement at some level. Yeah, to land there. For sure. Is, uh, wow. Did you, how did you feel about that? When, uh, when he said that to you, what was, did you agree with him or did you? No, I was drinking, so I was happy. <laughs> <laughs> I loved you too. Yeah, well, well it's, it's, it's funny how that is because it's, uh, I... I'm trying to understand my own self as well. So to be in that situation with him, trying to figure out what it was, what the world meant to him, what what is he struggling with, what is or who he is at the moment. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's I felt like um, there was something more. I felt like there's there's something to work with in a sense, like you know, there's something to look forward to. Yeah, and it's I mean, how long ago did your mother pass? Ten years now. Ten years. So yeah. you've had seven years since that moment to really Pretty much yeah get to know that guy, and exactly. for your father to get to know that guy, and yeah, that's really beautiful. Though though it's interesting though because it's um you know we were both from different backgrounds. And 
to have a son as an artist, but at least for me, I'm trying to be one. My temperament is just, you know, sometimes off the scale once in a while. And, and it's interesting where when you get to that point that he levels with you and he understands. And, you know, I think, I think he, he loved the idea that I became a professor as well, that I became a teacher as well. So it was a, yeah, it's quite a journey to think about that and to earn that respect from a man that you've loved, even though sometimes you don't feel that you're loved. Mm. And I think it's part of that process of being human. Yeah. <laughs> I can certainly uh, empathize with that, for sure. I, I think about like the, the journey that you make as a kid you know, coming up with your parents under their, you're aware of what they went through to a certain extent, yeah. you know, as kids. And I imagine I'm thinking of the timing of your folks coming over here. Philippines, uh, when they left, I would imagine was in great turmoil and their upbringing was very difficult. No doubt. And frightening and, you know, fraught with danger, you know, so for you to come up and, and have the, the ability to be an artist and mm-hmm. follow that the path that your mother did. I mean, that I, I used to think like I had friends who whose parents had a lot of money, mm-hmm. you know, and like my parents were middle class, you know, but like uh, you'd be like, oh, those guys are spoiled, the spoiled kids. Like, no, man, their parents work so hard that their kids don't have to. You know, I I didn't see it as like this is a spoiled kid. I thought like that's an industrious parent. Mm-hmm. You know, just don't hate on them because they got money. So in, in your case, you know, that your parents overcame the adversity of, of what they went through in, in the Philippines, arrived here and thrived. I mean, that your mother spoke multiple languages, became a professor. Uh, your father was a mining engineer and, and built this life in Texas of all places, <laughs> which, you know, I mean, you did pick the best spot in Texas to do that. But for sure, yeah. Texas hasn't been known for being uh, welcoming to all cultures, you know, all the time. So to, to, have, to have come through that and allowed you to become uh, an artist, and we'll get to, I promise, we'll get to who sure, you are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We've just immediately jumped into your background. Thanks for indulging that. But you know, I, I just feel that that's kind of... Um, it's a beautiful thing. Did you ever feel any that like almost guilt, like a survivor guilt sort of thing? Or I don't think so. I mean, I don't think of myself as a survivor. I think of myself as a pilgrim, hmm. and it's it's more of the process of, of understanding myself. I realized, and many you may not. I met so many artists who are from rich backgrounds and. You know, I'm from a poor background, even though my parents were both educated. There was an interesting kind of a process for me where when I create something, it's not for mere art. I'm, I was not born to be a dilettante. We create art for a purpose. You create something in order for people to join you in the process as a, as a form of community. That's what I love about filmmaking at some level, not the Hollywood type of filmmaking where, you know, you treat at some point you treat people like cattle at some some level. I mean, even though you make a lot of money in the process, but it's it's more of 
I think as 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 an artist being brought up from this background, I I fell in love with what stories are. Mm. I fell in love with human condition. Most of the stuff that I've done I've not really made money. It's it's more specifically for nonprofit organizations. Yeah. I've traveled to the past few years, traveled to fifty five, fifty six countries. Just making things so that people can have water in their village. So that you basically make stories so that stories need that needs telling. That need telling can be told. So in a perspective where, you know, you have the, the skills to create, to mold, let's say, to create images and sound and, and present it to people and people react to them and say, hey, let's continue doing what we're doing. Um, there's a certain empowerment to that. And I think as, a, as an educator who, who worked with his students um, to create meat specifically for nonprofit, that I can dig. That mm-hmm. that is a lifestyle that I would never give up. I mean, it, it's 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 at this point uh, as a filmmaker, there isn't much of a. I mean, for me, the dream is, of course, to continue making movies and teach. And and it's always, sometimes it's tough, sometimes it's not, and there's the beauty of that that sense of journey that you have with other people. So so in the process when you create something you don't you just don't think of it as well yeah it's another short film or as another film that you can put into film festivals or whatever. I, I think as filmmakers we have a very powerful instrument. And if you don't use it well, it's going to create a, some sort of a, you know, it's going to influence a lot of people in the process. And, and I think using, using this as a form of, as a delivery for something that's far greater than you. It needs to happen. It needs to, I mean, you know, you know, I, I've, I've, I've met so many students who tell me, it's like, well, I'm not really into documentaries, Nick. And what I'd love to watch is it's like some of these Mission Impossible movies. These are the things that, I mean, these are the movies that uh, made me get over um, the death of someone in the family or this and that. And I was all alone growing up. And these were only the, the films that that kind of put me back to life. And it's like, great. I'm not neglecting that. But what I'm saying is, now you, as a filmmaker, what are you going to do? Are you going to do the same thing? Are you going to get, I know, a hundred million budget and make movies like that? Or are you going to make something in the process of tell stories? What stories are that matters? Yeah. So I, I don't know. I mean, you know, I, I might be pissing in the wind. Let's put it from that perspective. But Who you know? ain't? <laughs> Who ain't? You know, honestly, if you don't feel like you're... <laughs> Maybe pissed in the wind a little bit. You might be fooling yourself. But it's worthwhile. It's very much worthwhile. I love, I love that you refer to yourself as a pilgrim. Um, I'm wondering if there are any other artists, 
pilgrim artists that I can't quite think of any, you know, the itinerant pilgrim, like St. Francis or those types of things that, that, mm-hmm. that have, you know, been out on a pilgrimage to, to discover something, but like a pilgrim artist, I, 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 there's got to be an archetype for that or like a, someone out there. Is there, who influenced you to do that? The, the only person that I can think about that I consider as an artist and as a pilgrim is Thomas Merton who died uh, 50 years ago, two days ago. Uh, he is a, an American monk um, who's, who has written a ton on meditation, on the spiritual life. Um, and the way he crafts his word is quite artful, So I put it from that perspective. Um, he's a Catholic monk who considers himself, I mean, reading from, from his own way of, of looking at his own interior life, he, he doesn't consider himself as a saint. He's, he's just another human being trying to figure out himself and who fell in love and trying, in a sense, trying to understand why he's feeling this way and what is a divine telling him, in a sense, and how is it reflected in his own life? Mm. Um, you know, I grew up religious. religious. Um, I prayed my prayers. But in the process, I'm not a very clerical person. I am not a big fan of pastors and people who are thinking they are ordained by God because they're holy. Mm. Um and I've met people who are wonderful in that regard, but what I'm saying is I've met all people who are just horrible. Yeah. And so in that level, it's more of, for me to see, I would say there's a bunch of artists who, who dig into that journey, the journey of becoming who they are. I think that's the process of, of finding oneself, right? When you watch movies and when you watch these amazing stories, when you read amazing stories people, it's not about, I mean, if you look into Christopher Vogler's uh, archetypes or the journey of a hero, the hero basically, the ultimate goal is not to kill the monster or get that goal, but to find that ultimate identity. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's um, for me, it's, it's, I see it that way. Yeah. Trying to figure out that, that Nicholas that I... I hope I know, and I hope my students know, and I hope that um, people that I love and who love me know. It's interesting that the whole hero's journey that to return home and see home for the first time with new eyes. But it's almost like your journey is to return home and show everyone what it is that your eyes have seen. Hmm. You know, you, so I'm going to go, I'm going to take it back to yeah. what we were talking about earlier because I've 
so very presumptuously thrown these microphones up in front of us in the middle of our <laughs> conversation. But uh, you are a cinematographer and a filmmaker and a professor at uh, uh, UC, right? In, uh, in LA. Let's put it small, in, a, in a small university. Small university. Yeah. Uh, and and you've just we were talking about your most recent work that you're that you're a part of, um, the art of grieving. Correct. Yeah. Which is a fascinating. Uh, you talked about you're working for nonprofits and what you're up to, but um, part of what you're what you brought up to me was um, your efforts to help Alzheimer's patients remember, and to and to to feel to give them access to their memories. Um, would, would you mind explaining that? It's this, this is a part of a program in the university that I'm in, and many. This is not specifically my project, but right. I'm contributing to the process. My my thought is there's a philosophy behind how we create images nowadays. We create fragments, and the way it is is that we have access to cameras all the time, and we Snapchat moments. We take photos of what it is that fascinates us. We create these pixels. And to the point that sometimes they're immaterial, they're not, I mean, they don't make sense. Just automatically, back then when I shot in film, I had to think through the process. I had, before I clicked the shutter, I knew what light I wanted. And it came to me in a sense that it's poetry. You want to capture this moment. And nowadays, it's, it's more of from that perspective, you tell students, like, why is it that you shoot this? Why are you pressing the shutter? Why is it that you're recording? Well, I can just delete it after. So from a sense where, you know, I, I always discuss, as I have been writing papers on the ontology of media. Why do we create something that is just so ephemeral? Why can't we create something that will be treasured for the next lifetimes that we have or let's say in the next few years of who we are and when we go back to this specific moment am I going to remember this and say hey this is a memory that I am with you and that's a thing and so right now there's there's there's, there's this notion of archival the way we approach archival materials and how we put that. My my area of expertise is in domestic ethnography. So I look at documentaries. I love Jonas Mikas. Um, many of these documentarians, Abram Rivet, who are not mainstream documentarians, but what they do is they create epistolary media. They create memories in a documentary. Epistolary means? Means writing, letters. Could be in a letter format or it could be in a diary format and there has been i mean it's not very mainstream so in a way you you can look at this from a perspective of you walking around traveling capturing moments what does the how does this moment make you feel i mean why is this so important to you so I started with a project, uh, this was 10 years ago. My mother was, um, she was struggling with cancer for 20 years by then. And so she had a double mastectomy and came back 
And uh, the moment she was given, like you were in the fourth stage of the cancer, I realized, you know, I got to start filming. Not for the purpose of, well, I, of being famous that, yeah, I'm doing this. I, I wanted to capture it. I, in a sense, the mess of being human. Um, listening to her talking about how she cooked my favorite meal. Um, and how she would write about the processes of living. And I think it's, it's uh, doing that process was very, very helpful for me. So the moment that she was diagnosed, um, we, we talked, I talked to my, my siblings. I was like, hey, I want to do something like this. So, you know, I, so I filmed for a few months. Um, I quit teaching. Well, uh, they gave me a time off and went back and basically we had a routine of going to Popeye's Chicken in the afternoon and just, you know, it's a beautiful kind of a mother and son relationship and talking about how things are and what you would say to my brother and what you would say to my sister. And so it's a... It's a beautiful blessing, let's put it from that perspective. Um, and so with that, I had about 200 hours. I mean, if, um, almost 200 of just me and her talking. Um, talking in a sense that, so what, what do you want to leave this world behind before you lose things? And so part of the struggle was do we want her to continue with chemotherapy, which for sure will destroy her, but we get a few months out of her? Or there's a hope that things might change, but it didn't. So, but to have that, to have these files with me, to sit down and talk to her, to have those moments with her was quite integral in my own process. That was my own form of, of grieving. So a few years after I went into a cabin in Colorado, I wanted to start writing and I wrote a letter for her. And I wrote this letter and I made it into a short film called Dear Mom, which got into a few film festivals and I got some funding to do this Art of Grieving project. And so with that, I've encountered a few artists um, who have the same... Um, struggled the same journey, um, losing someone in their lives, someone very special. And with that, they somewhat survived the process by the art that they created. And for me to, to witness this and to journey with them was tumultuous, but at the same time, a blessing as well. You know, teaching at the same time and doing this and, and seeing how their journey is. It's It's a... You know, it's a weird journey in a sense. Journey, weird because it's at some point I, you know, I didn't want to make this happen because it's a tough process to discuss. For the past few years, um, I've encountered in the departments that I departments that I worked in, kids committing suicide because they're not able to talk about what they have inside of them. Um, and it hurts me. And one of my, one of a former student of mine, uh, 
who, who basically, the, the first film class he took in college, fell in love with Cinema Paradiso. And of course, you know, graduated, and after a year, mom, his mom calls me and says, hey, um, he hanged himself. So to to see that and to be able to like well, what are we doing? What are we what are we trying to do specifically? Are we pressuring these kids to do what they can't do, or I mean, what they're expecting? What we're expecting them to do? I mean, at some point, there needs to be a forum for us to be able to sit down and discuss what it is to be human. Um. Grief is part of that human condition. Grief is that sense of loss that you, that every human being has to encounter. If you're a human being, you need to be connected with a, another human being, right? That's part of the journey. Life is, you know, if you say, uh, as many say, life is never life if it's not shared let's put it from that perspective and so so for me to start start off with a project like that to be able to say hey how do how do we talk about this how do we create how do we take out that stigma of being able to express oneself and say hey you know i'm i'm, I'm struggling with this and how do i put that into visual form or musical form, or or pixelated form, or you know, in a sense, make something. And I think the most convenient, conducive, effective way that we can do things is through art form. Yeah. And there's a lot of that. And so I mean, I, I mean, that's that's part of the journey, and I'm I'm still trying to finish it. Um, yeah. There's a few people who are interested in the process, and yeah, um, I think the story needs to be told. Yeah, it's it's interesting to me. The art of grieving, specifically, to grieve is to heal. I don't know what the etymology is of of the word grief or grieving, but it seems like grieving is healing, and you're interested in healing. And you said you mentioned healing through art. Yeah. And what's interesting to me about film is it is all art forms. And then, you know, like a sculpture is just something that sits there. You can see it and touch it. And, but a film, you've got to go find it. But it's all art forms, music, light, painting, mm. uh, sculpture. There's so much into it. Storytelling, it's all piled into one thing. But you got to go find it. You got to sit down. You got to make time to be with that because it's so, so precious and so beautiful. Because it's all the art poured into one thing. And you know, I mean, the art of editing, yeah. <laughs> the art of just the time it took to to put it on whatever format you're watching it. So you've got this whole um, healing mechanism built into something that's so uh, you really have to take time with it. What, where does that come from? No, the, it's interesting you ask that question because it's what has been asked in, in, in many of, of the forum that I've been in. Um, I, sh I showed a few of my films to many people um, when I give workshops. 
and what's fascinating is one one of the people um, who responded to my film or to the art form that the artwork that when I brought one of the artists in she was saying how does it feel how does it help others if you're showing your own wounds to people isn't that I think the word she used was weird. You're exposing a big wound inside of you. And sometimes you only need to show a few things and a little thing. And it's interesting how people respond to that. I mean, in a sense, how does it? How do you know that it helps others, and how do you know that your art actually impacts others? Mm. And this eighty-two-year-old artist that I've been working with, a fiber artist from San Francisco, who lost her husband to um, Alzheimer's, and she struggled with that condition for quite some time, and she made art because of how the personality of her husband changed through the years, and responding to the moments and and she said i mean I'm, and i'm learning from her she said she said you don't know it that's for sure but one way or another you impact people who have the same stories and you tell people to just do and do and do to the point that you sometimes it's hard to to hear this but you wallow in beauty because you understand how the process is you're you're somewhat digging deep within you and putting into something that's material something that you can hear and listen and feel um i have a professor from uh, a sculpting professor uh, who who talked about losing her mother as well and her mother wanted something a humongous um statue of the blessed virgin and He did that for two years, and she he made this amazing freaking statue just for the mother, and that helped in the process. And so, I agree with her in a sense that well, how can we? How are we so free to to show these wounds? I mean, are we exposing too much of these wounds? But the thing is, you know, in reality, if you actually don't cover your wounds, it will dry up, and it will heal. And I think, and I think in the process, I've had people who I've worked with, whom I've worked with, who've experienced the same thing, and say, you know what, man, thank you, thank you for being there. And there's just a notion that they're not alone in this journey, plain and simple. And that's why I mean, uh, being a pilgrim is something to that effect, where you're walking with them. Yeah. You try to understand. It's like, well, yeah. I have these scars. I have these wounds, and it's part of that process. And I think it's it's much more. I mean, for me, very intricate in a sense because I'm working with a crew. I'm working with former students. I'm working with with current people, uh, current crew members who who's trying to understand why I want to uncover this. And in the process, they they see the beauty in it. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, it's it's. I think it's 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 part of the process of knowing who you are, and once you find your medium, you find your medium, you explore it. Yeah. The the value of showing people wounds 
it's, I mean, like, you know, helping through someone through a breakup or someone helping you through a breakup mm-hmm. who's been through it. That empathy is really valuable. But just seeing someone who's on the other side of a trauma that, okay, I've got this, look at this scar, but it's a scar now. It used to be an open moon just like yours, but now it's a scar. Mm-hmm. And a scar, like grief, is healing. You know, it's a, yeah. a scar is a healed thing. So you're, to be able to show someone that you've healed is incredibly valuable because our, our minds are so powerful. And to, to believe that you're going to heal, I think, is one of the most uh, best. It's our best medicine. For sure. Belief. You know, our, our ability to believe and tell stories is what makes us uh, human. But stories are built from memories. Yes. And how we create memories are is basically very integral in the process. Hmm. And so for me, in a sense, I, I I always think of this is my own philosophy. And then when I write something, when I create something, the value we need to value the pixel as something divine. Hmm. I mean, if people that you know, in 2015 there are about there are more people who died of taking selfies than shark attacks. Oh, shit. Yeah, because people try to take photos of themselves while yeah. driving and doing stupid things, and bam, they die. More than sharks. More than sharks. So, I mean, if you think of that from that perspective, there are, what, 13 million selfies taken every day. And then they upload that online, and you get... People get a kick, or they orgasm from the likes that they get through their social media. I mean, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not putting this current culture down. It's okay to put it down a little. It's fine. <laughs> what I'm trying to do, I mean, I mean, I'm, we want to connect with with the millennials. We don't connect with the younger sure. crowd. But what I'm what I'm interested in is how do we give more value to what we create? Because sometimes it's just it's it's really the way we we use this power. To capture memories. It's it's unbelievably stupid sometimes. Because, I mean, I wish we had... I mean, I wish I had a, a smartphone back then. When, when... When I had wonderful moments with the ones that I loved. Um, I wish I captured a moment where... You know, I, I experienced my nieces or nephews walk for the very first time. But there's a sense of, nowadays it's more of how the light hits me and I'm taking a photo of myself. Oh, wow. And then you post it and you get thousands of likes or hundreds of thousands and you make money out of it. Great. Don't get me wrong. I mean, good luck. Good, good for you if you're doing that. And I think there's a much better way. Um, if you treat every pixel that we create as something worthwhile, that we can create an archive of amazing pixels that in the end, or in the way as, as we unfold our lives, we make meaning out of it. And there's always that notion where it's like, well, you know, Anselm Adams would say, it's like, the divine putting you in the place where you can actually click the shutter and that's the perfect time. Right. 
But it's it's more of nowadays. It's more of the, now. It's it's just so easy that you can delete things, and so I urge. I mean, that's what I tell my students. I urge people to make sure that what they create is something that they will treasure for the rest of their lives, and they keep on building an archive. That at the end, this could be used as something for healing, something to remember. Hmm. And it's not just, you know, you say, these are just fragments, right? Uh, Lev, um, forget his last name, Maltov, or uh, he's, he's one of those, let's say, I think he worked, he's a professor at MIT, um, who did, uh, he talks about database narrative, that it's, that nowadays it's changing the way we create our stories because of how we capture reality. That's just archive stuff. All the stuff that we've been gathering throughout our lives. Um, and it's been organized through the years, through every day, to the time. And so structured to the point that we can just make a movie out of our lives. Yeah. We are in a broadcaster self-culture nowadays that we just upload stuff, right? And everyone's a documentary filmmaker now. Because, well, you know, cool, I'm getting all these likes and getting all these people to the point that we have terabytes terabytes of information after a few years and then what do we do with that and so I mean my hope is we can have something at the end where it can be more meaningful through the you know, because it's it's not just us taking that. I mean, people that we are within that frame, people that we are in the journey, or people who take our own photos. You know, it's funny. You know, I was in Morocco recently doing um, a piece on on education, and uh, the driver who picked me up uh, spoke a little English, and he said, it's "Like, uh, what is it? Yeah." Do you travel many, many times during the year to make movies? And, you know, my Arabic was is bad too. So I mean, I replied in, in English and I said, yeah, if I need to. So Karim says, um, does it make you a better person? And so I took a moment to just put that. I mean, perhaps it's his translation in English and the way he said that and and I looked at him and I said, and I, and I thought of the family that I left, the people that I have left, the new people that I'm going to meet, and stories I'm going to tell. And I said, I hope so. And he shakes my hand. It's like, you're a good man. You're a good man. And it's, it's, it's just so funny because it's, it's you know, one in the morning and it was interesting just to be in that position. And I mean, you know, this is a very... This kind of a philosophy of, of creating media, this kind of a way of thinking how a filmmaker should be. Not a lot of people think this way, and people might think this is an awkward, weird thing that, yeah, yeah you know, you're not going to make money out of that. And that's very, you know, especially when you, when you are in a film school where it's a Hollywood film school and everything is boiled down to capitalist kind of a perspective where you got to make movies and make millions out of it. And you have to think in terms of like, well, okay, 
I think it's it's a matter of how you live your life and how you create the things that you create. So, yeah, you live and, you know, you wake up every day and you kind of figure out how, how do you create pixels with meaning. pilgrimage to be a better person i hope so but not you know a lot of that the self-help self um betterment type of thing is almost like masturbatory you know what i mean people are making themselves better for the sake of themselves Mm -hmm. i don't want to critique anyone else but the the idea of it seems to me in in your pursuit of you know maybe being a better person isn't to be just great and yourself, it's to be of service to others. Perhaps, like, yeah. You know, your your self betterment is how am I going to be better to the people with whom I interact, my students, the people who view my my work. And that sounds like a pilgrimage to me. You know that that would be your pursuit. So I want to, in in thinking about that guy, what I'd even asked you like what you do. Like we've not even covered that. So, <laughs> do you mind? Uh, how did you get here? How how are you now making film? Because you're a very well educated guy. It seems like you maybe didn't start in film. Like where where did you start? So um, that's quite a journey for me. I, I I and I'd like to be a bit vague about it because it's it's more of I'm going to be um, connecting dots with people. In real life, so welcome to Monkey Tooth, man. <laughs> Be as big as you like. <laughs> so I, I I did some work in advertising um, after after uh, doing college, um, and for me that was an interesting kind of a journey um, to put it from that perspective. Uh, kind of making images to make money, or making telling stories to a point where. It all boils down to the account that you have. It kind of took a toll on me into the life that I was living and to the way I was breathing. Um, and so it's it's more of a, for me, it's a, it was a shift from, from that kind of a lifestyle to teaching. Um, 
I taught in a high school for two years after that. It's like for me, it was a shift, and I I I really just want to get away. I went back to Texas. Um, did a couple of years there, uh, and then in the process, uh, somewhat did grad school and did a few of those, <laughs> and then started teaching in a university. Um, but this all spanned in about 12 years. And so for me to develop that, and because it's because of the, the somewhat the influence of my mother, who was a teacher. I enjoy teaching and teaching in a sense that you get to share your passion with students. Though I would say I would never go back to teaching high school, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> but I learned a lot in that process. That. Um, what's fascinating was I got to understand who I am from a level of the perspective of what success is. Yeah. Um, you defined it for yourself. Pretty much. And then behind that, with my background, I was able to connect with uh, non-profit organizations that I work with, uh, specifically with photography and human rights, kind of a, the, that realm. Um, working with different journalists, working with different uh, filmmakers who, who had this itch to tell stories that needed to be told. Um, a project that I did was on a feature-length project on on the monks in the Catholic Church, uh, religious brothers, as they are called. Um, I've worked with a few of them, and they're amazing. They're amazing people, but basically, they're they're ostracized uh, in the hierarchy in the Catholic Church because they're yeah. they're not priests, right? Many of them um, are teachers, custodians, janitors. Um, these are people who are active monks who worked in schools most of their lives. And there's only a few of them nowadays. And so that was an interesting kind of a journey for me to, to document and ask them, like, why is it that you do what you do? Why this kind of a lifestyle? Why, why not priesthood? And so... That was one thing, um, and, 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 and many of, of, in a sense for me, uh, you're talking about my work, it's, it's, it's a balance of, of teaching and creating media. Creating short films, creating, uh, I mean, films specifically, uh, for different, because most of the stuff that I do, there, I mean, I don't even have a website, let's put it from that perspective. And the people that I've worked with, uh, these are people, the work that I do is for, through word of mouth. Uh, I work with the Catholic Relief Services, work with uh, different nonprofits who basically allow me to travel and capture moments with people. Um, and so that was a thing for me. It's more of like, yeah, teaching on the side and making things on the side and making things with people that you care about. Um, and that was helpful. Uh, and that has been going on for quite some time. And so, yeah, um, 
doing currently uh, research on, on grieving in art and film and, and capturing that. That's one thing right now that I'm focused into and hopefully hopefully there's more. Yeah. What was the what's the one called with the brothers? It's called uh, Bro Men with Hope to Bring. Bro. Yeah, bro. Yeah, the uh, the tagline is uh, a different kind of bro code. <laughs> so I, I grew up, I was raised Catholic mm-hmm. uh, through kindergarten through high school, Catholic school. And there was one brother in particular, Brother Ben, who um, I look back on it now and I was such a little asshole to Brother Ben. Like I have I have deep regret like to what a little jerk I was in class. Just, I was you know, 12 and full of angst. But then I went through puberty and I got along real well with Brother Ben. He saw that like I'd changed over the summer and he was like so kind to me. And he like uh, took me horseback riding. And I, I really got to know this guy, but I never asked him, why do you do this and not, why are you not a priest? And he lived in the same building with all the priests and they had tons of land. He could have had a horse. They wouldn't let him have a horse. He couldn't have a goldfish. Like he couldn't have anything and it like the place that he lived he had such a simple simple little existence you know and yeah i feel now looking back on it i bet he was kind of treated like ah you're just brother ben you know he hadn't gone through it like us priests or whatever i don't know second class citizen second class yes that's i've never really considered that now so where can i see that it's available online well yeah it's uh right now we we got uh grant to um, make DVDs, DVDs for parishes. So they've distributed that all throughout the Christendom as well, the <laughs> Catholic world. Yeah. But it's it's not really... Uh, I've received a few... Because it's funny, I've received a few uh, notes from priests that said it's very anti-clerical because it's, this is very independent. This is when I was working with a university and yeah. I got funding through a university. And, and, uh, so priests didn't like it. Pretty much. They say it's very anti-clerical. So I was like, well, it's a movie. And it's telling an honest story. So however you interpret it is, mm-hmm. yeah. If, let, me, let me put it from this perspective. The Catholic Church is a very clerical church. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I've noticed that through the years that I've been working within that realm. Um, I've been lucky enough to tread between two rivers in a sense as a filmmaker and as a person who creates media for that side I've been asked many times by many production production companies to work with them and I said I don't want to make movies about the rosary I don't think so I'd rather feed a village than teach them how to pray the rosary yes but what's interesting I mean don't get me wrong I mean I'm I'm not anti-Catholic I and I've noticed this with many believers nowadays they're they're more focused on the rituals than relationships. Yeah. And that hurts me big time. Because, I mean, you know, I've seen this through the years and seeing people react to this. And, you know, I've, some of my best friends are priests. Don't get me wrong. I love them, but it's, it's the culture that they have currently. And perhaps that was my thing. That's my independent film way of <laughs> telling that story and that side. Yeah, it would be like you being more interested in, in getting the shot correct than enjoying the person you're with. Pretty much. Yeah, 
uh, the ritual uh, as opposed to the hey, does it make you a better person? <laughs> That's really interesting. So uh, let me shift out of Catholicism. Sure. Shift sure. into uh, um, the art of grieving. Tell me, tell me more about that. So project. You said you've been at it for six years? Yeah, um, six years with a, a few different people. But right now we're focusing on a short, short version, which uh, hopefully this is for the nonprofit that we're working with. Um, we're trying to put together a 20-minute version of the feature. Um, and the 20-minute version is just three specific people, um, three women artists. Who have lost someone in their lives one is a a young woman who's lost her mother to cancer a few years ago and her struggle is basically trying to understand how she has been after losing her mother and relying on memories if the memories are even worthwhile or if they're real just the notion of growing up without a mother uh, second one is a mother uh, who lost her 10-week-old son. Um, and for her, because of that, she has been an advocate for uh, the bereaved. She has been a lecturer in, in university, in a university uh, in California, and uh, her work specifically is about the bereaved. Um, and one of the things that I love about her work was... Uh, that Catholic aspect of the Madonna. Um, and she basically cre recreates Mary, who she says debatably as the most bereaved woman in the history of humankind, where she takes out the baby in, in the painting that she, that she would paint. And it's an interesting process for her and to, to tell that story and to be able to transform that grief into octopus ink, to charcoal, to black and white painting. Pretty phenomenal stuff. Wow. And then an 82-year-old woman who uh, lost her husband to Alzheimer's and just the process of losing that identity, the memory of that husband and, and how he changed through these years and how that pain was for her and how she translated that pain into the fiber art that she has created through these years. So one of the projects that she made in this film was uh, um, there was a plant that was given to her and supposed to be this plant should have been fruitful by in a sense that it would flower up by the end, by winter, but it didn't. And so just dried up um, where her husband was at in a memory care facility. So she took that plant home and the leaves started falling and she photographed the leaves and made a, an amazing artwork with that. And then she, she calls it brain tangles. So in the process of, of that and, and journeying with this woman, um, asking them to be generous and telling their stories, um, sitting with them and, and, and crying with them, um, drinking with them, eating with them. I think that's the beauty about 
being a documentary film filmmaker is that you that you're not you even the, even you're the director it's not about you it's not about the tour it's about them and and listening to them and how they worry about how this will come out on film and and I think there's a beauty behind that and it's it's more of right now it's it's a uh, yeah the project is I'm pretty happy with it um hopefully it's going to be as as good as I hope it to be I mean as any filmmaker would would try to do um you're working with a definite amount of budget and and the amount of time that uh, that I have and you you hope for the best it just seems like you're perfectly situated to make this film I hope so like just you just seem like the absolute right guy for the job I, I've known you for about an hour <laughs> but it seems like the project you've described and I I don't know I'm, I'm no stranger to the the concepts I mean I, our dinner conversation as a ch children was my mother telling us about her day at work, mm -hmm. which was uh, as a hospice nurse. And we would, you know, we'd hear stories of Mr. Jackson. And you know, Mr. Jackson was this guy, and he did this and this and this. And, you know, weeks later, oh, Mr. Jackson died today. I'm like, what? We were just getting to know Mr. Jackson, you know, but that was just part of it. The, the whole, and the way my mother would help these people transition from, you know, being a living person to dying. Yeah. was um, she would just love these people to death. You know, she would be with them and, and provide them some measure of dignity in dying and didn't get in the way of it and wasn't, you know, just wanted them to be comfortable and to be um, not alone. And, and I don't know, just the access we had to other people's grief made me real aware of how easy I had it. Um but also made me appreciate what, like dying, mm -hmm. and the idea of just not being there, which what it leaves behind. I mean, you're talking about leaving memories for people and, and appreciating the sacredness of your pixels and, and and feeding the memories of others when you're gone. It's such a very altruistic thing to think of with your your moment capturing. It's, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a tough concept for many people. Um, because everything, because of the democratization of, of media nowadays, it's very, very easy for things to be done. You can put a GoPro camera on your car and just drive around and wow, it's documentary. You're experiencing a there's a documentary space in your city. I mean, there's a, an interesting um, project by Blast Theory uh, in the UK back in 2007 where they hook up someone to a, a smartphone while they bike around the UK talking about their experience in this space. It's an interesting available technology, but it's in a sense sometimes you can never force that. And so what's interesting for me, I think, at least from a perspective of someone who creates media on a daily basis or analyzes media, there needs to be a level of 
cognizance, a level of consciousness on what we create specifically. Because nowadays it's it's just pap, 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 delete, delete, delete. We don't know. Um, and there's also a level of, of negligence. Um, because we know for a fact we're so used to it. Um, I sat some, with someone on a plane recently and she sits down and she's looking at her Instagram and she has what, 300, 400,000 followers and she tells me, oh yeah, I'm a photographer. It's like, Good for you, wonderful. And how it changes her to some level of when the phone vibrates and she sees there are a few hundred likes or some people are reacting to some things like wonderful good for you my students ask me that it's like hey how when you post something and you're saying it's like well there's only what a few people are liking it how do you react to that how do you see things when you when you create something on a daily basis, what do you expect from them? And then I say, well, here's the thing. You create as a point of memory for you, right? You, you gather wisdom from that moment as you create your pixels or you store some archival stuff and you upload it online and you say, hey, this is what I've learned during the day, or this is a line that I'm thinking about. Um, here's a thought from Pablo Neruda, or here's something that inspired me. The notion of putting something to the point that it's not because you want to feel good. It's because you need to tell a story, or you have to inspire change at some level. At some point, there's only seven pe 17 people who like this specific photo, and you say, hey, at least 17 people smiled today. That's fine with me. Plain and simple. But I, I think that's the, that's the notion that we have right now. I think people are driven by this, these buses, these notifications, to the point that we define ourselves with, with this level of, of what's the right word titillation um, mm. and we forget why we create things yeah. Um, yeah I mean you know I deal with students every day I see them and why they want to do what they want to do they have their drive they they want to make things happen and they want to be famous. They want to be the next amazing storyteller. But in the process, in a sense, many people lose themselves if they don't keep their feet on the ground. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, it's a hit or miss, man. I mean, it's it's funny how that is. Uh, and these philosophies that I have specifically on the pixel um, has been put.
together through the years of making it and, and thinking about it and meeting, talking, arguing, discussing, eating with amazing people in my life. Yeah. I, I'm just I'm thinking back to that 87-year-old woman, the fiber artist. 82. 82. Mm -hmm. Anytime you're encountering anybody in their life, at whatever age and whatever, I don't know, period of their life, you're almost seeing people on a continuum of ambition, almost like this little arc. Mm -hmm. You know, at at 18, maybe you're incredibly ambitious, or at 27, you're at the peak of your powers, and in your 30s, you're like, ah. I'm not so, <laughs> I'm content. It, 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 you just never know exactly where somebody is on that arc of their ambition. You know, I think about your student, your students who are like, I'm going to be the next great thing, and they're driven and driven and driven. It's hard not to have seen that 82-year-old woman as maybe once that person yeah. someday. And, and those, those ambitions and failures and successes are what make people interesting and make their stories worth telling. But that's the thing, though. I mean, I think, there's no... I'm not saying it's bad to have ambitions. Right. And I think that's a drive that every human being has. But there's a different notion of what success is. Um, and I think it changes, it evolves as, as people get older. I met a young cinematographer who comes from a very rich family and I asked her what do you plan to do with this? And she says, like, well, I want to be rich, but it's like, kid, you're already rich. What's the point? Like, well, that, that's my parents' money. I want to make my own name. It's like, well, it's not about the riches then. It's about a name. And I think it comes with that. But, but what's the idea, of course, it's, it's more of, I think of myself, my younger self. I mean, here's, here's, uh, an image of me waking up in the morning and writing a few pages because I have I had a dream and I remember them vividly and when I think of something I write them down and through the years I've done this as a as a as a form of a ritual and I went back what 12 years 13 years ago and I read through my notes and I look at some of the stuff that I've written it's like my god what an asshole I was and how I've written so differently as I am right now. But it's it's interesting, and of course for me right now, to talking as a, as a guy approaching 40, I, I'm thinking to myself, I still have a long way to go, for sure. Um, and there's always going to be self-hate. There's always going to be that self-doubt. The process of like you know I at the end of a project I look at some of the stuff that I've done and say oh man this is horrendous and I hope I'm giving these people a worthy story I mean uh, and so I mean it always comes to that level and at this point I don't even consider myself as an artist I think I would consider myself if maybe if I won an Oscar but I don't want to <laughs> but now I don't think so that. It's a matter of how, in a sense, we arrive at that point. We are drawn to create that pixel. And I think it's just a matter of us being able to say, 
this is the right moment and I'm going to press record. It's one moment in, in uh, my documentary story where I was filming my mother and I and uh, her hair was falling because of the first round of, of chemo. And she asked me if I could just shave her hair. And for me to sit, to be there and just starting to shave her head. Like, oh, I would never show this in a movie. This is between me and her. And going back to that was one of the most powerful things that I can always go back to. Uh, I got a tattoo of uh, a barcode right here in my... Uh, my shoulder, and it's uh, people. My my students ask me, it's like, oh, what is that? And I, and I oh, it's a, <laughs> if you, <laughs> if you scan it, actually, it's a it's a Walgreens barcode, and it's a uh, the first adult diaper that I bought for her. It was a transition. I mean, basically, it's the reverse of roles. I mean, the role that I had as a son. And she is a mother. And for her, for me to take care of her. Just just to mark that, you know, just to just to get an idea how that is for me. And it's like, well, you're you're very attached to your mother. It's like, yeah, well, she was one of those people who taught me how to teach. Um, who made me who I am. And so yeah, it's a it's a it's an interesting kind of a process. So you you think of that from that perspective, and how do we create the moment? I mean, it's one of the reasons why I love wine. And I love cooking. If I wasn't a filmmaker, a professor, I'd be cooking in a food truck or somewhere. It's because of the process of creating something. When you put things together, to the point that you can fill that gap within them. It's when you know, a, a woman would grow tobacco. And the reason why people give so much worth to a Cuban cigar is because of how they grow the tobacco and how the process is of putting it together and how it smells mm -hmm. and how it molds when you drink a, an 18-year-old wine or a 15-year-old wine or a 12-year-old, I mean, 12-year-old scotch, a single malt. It has a very distinct taste to it, a taste of refinement. When people put effort into creating something so that people can actually be fed, I think that's the most phenomenal thing that you could do for a moment. Um, I was in Cambodia um, filming a bunch of students. Uh, and uh, there was an ice cream man selling popsicles outside the school. And <laughs> of course, the, the classroom was not even a classroom. It's like a ramshackle put together. And of course, I freaking hot and humid. So I was thinking, you know, I took out some Cambodian reel and I asked the guy outside, like, how much is that whole packet of ice cream that you have? Like, well, this amount of money. He's like, okay, I'll take them all. And I asked the teacher and I asked the uh, interpreter to 
ask permission from the teacher to, if we can break for 10 minutes. Because they were perspiring profusely. And the kids saw the ice cream. And just the process of them opening the ice cream up and putting it in their mouth. I said, stop filming, just watch this. Just watch this. That moment is just phenomenal. So, I mean, I know you can never cre recreate something like that. You can never tell people to, hey, film this, film that. Or sometimes you don't even need a camera, to be quite honest with you. Yeah. It's a matter of how you, you create these pixels, create these moments. And I'd say start with the moments, believe in the moment. And you can never be rich with that, but it's okay. Well, so what I've gotten from you so far today is, uh, for one, uh, sort of honor the sacredness of moment capturing the pixel. Define for yourself whatever success is, and then you'll know yourself. And uh, make life a pilgrimage. Yeah. I think that's great advice. Uh, if if what you're doing is not making you a better person, then reconsider what it is that you're doing. But that's the thing, though. It's like the notion of success. What is a better person? And sometimes if that term, those terms are very relative nowadays. Very. Very much. But it's, you know, it, and I think it's the same way as we define happiness. And I think it's a matter of us. You know, it's, it's for me... I will never be rich. I will never be famous. And I don't want to be. But I am rich in the people who love me. Mm -hmm. And I am rich in the people that I love. That's for sure. And that's enough for me. And I think it's a, yeah, it's a matter of us understanding ourselves. And it sounds a bit mushy. But c'est la vie, man. I mean... In a way that has been an, an impetus, a drive to do what needs to be done. Yeah. But I mean, it, it's a different journey for everyone. You know, I think people who are listening to your podcast, they've lived a different life and they've spent money and they've come from riches or they've come from this background and they've paved a path for themselves to the point that they could define themselves from that path. And sometimes it's not, I mean, it's not about the path that you create. And so, yeah, I mean, you know, it's like saying, you know, when it comes to Buddhism, you know, if you see the Buddha, kill him. You can never find the Buddha. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's there's always only one thing that you could do is find that certain happiness. I mean, for me, to be here in the desert once in a while, to find my sense of self, and to be able to, to travel and speak a language that I do not even know. Um, and I think it's quite, it's humbling to understand that, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's like a dog trying to find his name, and in the end, never finding it. And to the point that, yeah, I'm just happy being a dog by the sea. It's 
worthwhile, I hope. Amen to that. <laughs> well, thanks a bunch, Nick. I appreciate you, Thank you taking time out of your Airbnb stay to chat with us. It's my pleasure. Thank you for uh, allowing me to speak. It's a, It's been a bottle of wine. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. Tiffany here saying thank you for listening to the Monkey Tooth podcast. If you haven't already, or it's been a while, check out our website, mtp.dog. There's plenty of information there. An about tab with a little bio on Andrew, myself, and our dog Pele. There's also a van build tab detailing how we did our van conversion. A journal tab and we, as an Andrew, are doing our best to keep that up to date. And last but not least, a contact tab where you can leave your thoughts, suggestions, or questions. You can also contact us on social media. We are on Facebook and Instagram, Monkey Tooth Podcast. If you would like to donate and or subscribe to the cause, you can go to Patreon and GoFundMe at Monkey Tooth Podcast. Patreon is not just a place to subscribe. We post lots of content there as well. We greatly appreciate each and every one of you. Love to all. <laughs>